Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante along with T. Frank Carr. Today we're going to continue our positional review, but first a reminder, we're getting closer and closer to that blue-white game. Just another week and a half, we are going to have a fantastic event to benefit the We Are NIL Collective. This is your chance to help out and have a great time, a blue-white game tailgate event. Pre-game, going to be a lot of fun. We're holding it at the Revel XP tailgating lot. If you've never been there, fantastic place to tailgate. Got some great food and drink. The food by 409 Tailgate Club. Beer from New Trail. Wine from Blue White Winery. We're going to have a Bloody Mary bar. It's going to be a fantastic event. And at the same time, you're going to be benefiting Penn State student-athletes. If you want more information or tickets, go to thetailgateclub.com. We also have several parents of players are going to be there. There, A lot of them are a lot of fun to talk to, get some inside scoop on what's going on with, with their kids and uh, how they're doing on the team. So that's thetailgateclub.com to get your tickets and more info. All right, T. Frank. Last week, we were working on the offense. We've got one position left to go. That position is tight end, where Brenton Strange had a wonderful season last year. One would think having that good a player move on, that there might be issues at tight end. I don't think there is going to be an issue there, though. Still a lot of talent, isn't there? Yeah, depends on so it depends on where you're looking in the position. If you're looking at the top, there's tons of talent. If you're looking in the middle, there's some up and coming talent. And if you're looking at the freshman class, there's a ton of talent. So for the tight end position, they're pretty good no matter how you slice this one. I like the way you put that. There's three tiers. Each one has talent. So let's start at the top. Let's start with Theo Johnson, who I think a lot of us thought there will be a breakout year for Theo Johnson. Turned out last year was Brenton Strange. Theo Johnson was a little bit nicked up at the start of the season, but as things developed, we started to see those skills. Are we going to see even more of that? Is he going to reach really that star status that we've been looking for from him this year, T. Frank? It's certainly possible, and it was certainly possible last year, but the question is going to be health because that has been – Over the course of his career, a a consistent nagging problem has been staying healthy in the offseason, during the season, et cetera, et cetera. So I I can't say yes, but um, the way it worked out last year, you mentioned he was injured early on and the role that developed. I've talked about this a couple times on my show, written about this, because when I really looked at the information and I looked at how things happened last year, Theo Johnson was the team's deep threat in terms of like explosive plays, Tyler Warren down the seam in the middle of the football field. He was a part of that as well, but really Theo Johnson was driving a lot of the deep uh, receptions. So um, if he were to do that again this year, then yes, it would absolutely be a breakout season. So these are the numbers that I found when I was looking through some of the uh, analytics and some of the data he averaged uh, his average depth of target was, I think at this point I should have it memorized, but it was 13 yards downfield. Average depth of target means 
on average, the ball is traveling 13 yards in the air to get to him. So he is not just a button hook, six yards, catch the ball, run after the catch kind of guy. He is stretching the field vertically. Um, if you were to select just the end of the season, kind of where he started playing more consistently, he um, was top in uh, yards per catch, in um, one of the tops in receiving yards, and I believe touchdowns as well. But um, the other part of his profile last year is he had a perfect passer rating. When John Clifford threw him the football, he had a passer rating of 158.3, meaning Theo Johnson was a perfect target. So this is always the problem is can you extrapolate that over an entire year? Teams tried to take away the middle of the football field against Penn State, Indiana, Maryland, certain teams. I mean, I remember Indiana's game plan. It's kind of burned in my mind because they basically played Red Rover. Like imagine just the safeties and linebackers linking arms over the middle of the field on the hashes and not letting guys run inside. That was their plan was they were just going to turn their butt to the inside and prevent people from getting over the middle of the football field. And it left the 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 outside open for uh, for Sean Clifford to throw the ball to, which he struggled to do. Drew Aller presumably is not going to have those issues if he is the guy to take the next step for Penn State. So if you take away the middle of the field for Theo Johnson, that opens up more opportunity for receivers outside. So they, they come back with this huge ace in the hole from a schematic standpoint of a real viable threat that has been proven in the offense that these two tight ends can be dangerous, but the balance, you know, not to go to the receivers again, but the balance then becomes... Do you have compliments outside of that? And that's going to be the interesting thing about this group in particular, outside of Theo Johnson and the receivers. Um, do they have that consistently? T. Frank, we talked last week, I think it was from one of the questions we got, it was about favorite players. Tyler Warren falls under that category for me. I, I like those guys who were quarterbacks in high school, then another position. I feel it that they played quarterback was an indication of some of their athletic ability, perhaps even yeah. their football savvy, all that. And I'm not sure Tyler Warren has lived up to my expectations anyway. And I don't know if it's he's as the third tight end. He doesn't get he hadn't gotten targeted that much. What's your take on Tyler Warren? And what do you think we're going to see from him as he bumps up to number two on the on the depth chart this year. So it's never, I speak in generalities and then the generalities kind of become these specific exact examples, but generally Penn state has two positions. They have their inline tight end and their H back. Now I don't, I don't know exactly if that's how they, they determine it as an H back or if it's an F. However, they determine it in the offense. It is kind of a move tight end and the guy that's in line, both guys can play in line. Brenton Strange was good at setting the edge, playing on the edge of the tackle box, playing in line. But if there was a guy that moved, he was the guy that typically did that. At the beginning of last season, Tyler Warren was filling in for Theo Johnson in that more traditional on-the-line-of-scrimmage player. And I don't know that that was the best to, uh, situation to suit his skills. If he's more of a move player in that Brenton Strange role, I think he has the opportunity to be more consistent and to consistently get to what he's good at. Um, but but we, I need to see more. Like, I need to see a couple more examples of him doing that full time. And the the breadth of what that position asks you to do is, is numerous and varied. So if they don't do certain things uh, with Tyler Warren, if, if he does take that role, then that makes sense to me. 
uh, that, you know, maybe he's not as good at those things as Brenton Strange was, but alternately, he might be better at certain things like getting up field. He was another guy that could stretch the field vertically from the slot. So they have two guys that can do that. How they build the offense around these two, in, in, and these two I mean by how the they in affect and influence the offense is going to be a big part of the start of next year with all the questions and um, mystery surrounding the receiver position. But my assumption has been this offseason that Tyler Warren is more suited to what Brenton Strange was doing, and he was not getting on the field doing that full time. He was backing up both positions. He was, you know, not always uh, enhancing his skills by his situation. If he's doing that full time, I think we could see a breakout from him as well. So that's what another thing I'm looking for this spring is how he's used. We won't see a lot of examples. We won't see a lot of in-depth tricks and things like that. But the basis of where does he line up? How does he play? Where does he block from? I think is going to tell me a little bit more about his strengths and how he's viewed internally um, and see if I'm right and, and see if that goes on to the fall camp and uh, kind of solidifies his position as the H back in the offense. Gotcha. Okay. Now tight end, which to me seems a little different than other positions in that the pecking order seems to have been by seniority. Bretton strange next in line is Theo Johnson. Next in line is Tyler Warren going on that basis. Khalil Dinkins is next in line seniority wise, mm -hmm. but how does your description of how it's, essentially two different positions at tight end. How does that affect who's the number three guy? And by number three, if they still run uh, formations with three tight ends out there, what are you looking for for that third tight end? Because there's a group of players there with very different skill sets. It, that's a great point. And that's why I have a hard time saying tight end one, two, and three. Although I do think that the way you described it is typically how it's going to go because players that are older generally are better at football. They have more time in the offense. They have more skills that they've acquired. And that's what it's about is about what can you do for the offense? And just like Tyler Warren and Brenton strange, what positions can you put yourself in? Can, can Mike Yersich put you in and you then succeed and uh, execute the, the, the block. So, Khalil Dinkins is another H-back type player. He is not a true inline tight end. He's about 245 pounds. Uh, he got better at blocking than I expected, although he was always a physical player uh, at Allegheny. I, I forget the name of his high school. I know he's Allegheny something. But he he was a very versatile player in high school, used a bunch of different ways. That's how he's being I perceive he'll be used in the offense. So he wouldn't be the immediate backup to, Ty, to to Theo Johnson, in my opinion. That would mean a guy with a bigger body, a little bit thicker frame like Jerry Cross, would be the Theo Johnson backup. And then it becomes a question of uh, who's better at blocking in a situation where you want a third tight end to be a blocker, who is better at receiving, who is better at route running and all those things. The long, the, the short story of that is I would say Khalil Dinkins is your third tight end. And in those situations, you would move Tyler Warren into a blocking role and he would become your move player H back sort of thing. But we're getting into very specific sub packages at that point. We're getting into some, you know, two or three times a game sort of situations where you would use a third tight end. All right. By the way, North Allegheny for uh, Khalil Dinkins. I wanted to say North Allegheny. <laughs> ah, I should trust in my gut. All right. Let's go to that third level real quickly. Jerry Cross is next in line. And then there are three freshmen. Who do you like among that group, uh, T. Frank? And is there any chance of them getting on the field? 
I would say from what I'm hearing right now in spring, it's not going great for that uh, third group. Andrew Rappelier would be the one I like the most of immediate impact, but he's not here yet. So we don't have any information on whether that's correct or not, but he's just so good in high school. There's so many translatable skills. He has the personality to make the transition quickly. He's an older player. So I would say that. Jerry Cross, um, I know so very little about Jerry Cross because his high school was entirely disrupted by COVID. He was injured his senior season, didn't get to see a lot of him in high school, and then he was injured last year. So there's there's uh, not a lot of data for me to go from. Big, physical, everything you want, but I, I always caution people, don't always look at that part because the skills matter now. What he's able to do with all of that matters. And then the other two guys, they need a lot of time to develop. Uh, Schlaffer and Barnwell both need time to develop in one way or another. Very good, T. Frank. That's it for the tight ends, and that's it for the offense. Stick around. Quarter number two, we're going to go to the other side of the ball and talk defense. Are you ready to elevate your game day experience? Then it's time for turnkey tailgating with Revel XP. You get to tailgate close to Beaver Stadium with our exclusive area next to the soccer field. Revel XP will provide the tent, the chairs, table, even the cooler and ice. We even partner with local food and beverage providers to cater your tailgate event. As someone has enjoyed tailgating with Revel XP, I know you're going to love it. Go to RevelXP.com for more info. We Are NIL Collective helps Penn State compete in the new world of collegiate athletics, and you can help us. Hi, this is Michael Krenzman, founding member of We Are NIL, and I'm inviting you to join the football parents and the folks from Keystone Sportsnet at a tailgate party for the blue-white game. Enjoy great food from 409 Tailgate Club and beer from Neutral Brewery, all from the exclusive Revel XP lot near the stadium. This is your chance to also talk football with the guys from Keystone Sports and meet some players' families. So get your tickets at thetailgateclub.com. Thanks very much. Hey, guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. It's quarter number two on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number two. He is Thomas Frank Carr. I am Jim Galante. We're talking Penn State football. More specifically, we're doing our positional review. We've been doing the offense. In fact, uh, first quarter, we finished up the offense with the tight end position. Now we're going to the other side of the ball. We're going to talk defense. What's fascinating to me is different feel on the defense overall, T. Frank. On offense, it seems like there's pretty much a pecking order, a depth chart. Defense, it feels like there's about 22 starters. Well, This is an interesting, you bring up something I've been thinking about recently. When I'm thinking about the defense, and I'm thinking about just generally how you want to build the defense and my my 11th defender theory, how do you make the defense whole at all times? I think that that's more of an NFL thought, where you have 53 players that you can have on the roster, and you have a salary cap, so you have very, you have to decide where your resources are going. 
that you want to have 11 starters and never take them off the field other than for sub packages where you're dictating the terms. On defense, especially in college, you have the replacement uh, theory, like the, the replacement that you need to get to of guys are graduating, going to the NFL. You can't just have the same 11 starters all the time soaking up all the experience. So you want to play as many players as possible. So I do think that is a function of the defensive philosophy of playing fresh guys, but also uh, the the idea that you want to get guys ready to take over a position. So therefore, defense is a much more plurality than it is, you know, in the NFL. And even in the NFL, along the defensive line, a lot of teams will rotate four or five guys, uh, you know, in a rotation. So um, I think it is by nature that you want to have as many names as possible because that means you've got a lot of depth and talent that can step in and produce, you know, whether it is in the short or long term. And you're always in the college environment, you're developing that young talent. You want to have them game ready going into next season or obviously because of injury. And there's and you want to cycle the better the players are that you have on the field, the quicker they rotate out and move yeah. on and play in the NFL. So with that as background, let's start with the defensive line. I'll give you the choice. Where do you want to start? With the tackles or with the ends? Do you want to? Well, I'll ask you. Do you want to have the controversial conversation or the optimistic conversation first? Because it is very different on either spectrum of those two positions. I'm ready to do both. I'm guessing you're thinking the controversial area is that defensive tackle. You cannot and... talk about defensive tackle enough this spring. I found so. Let's let's start there. That is what people I think are most interested in because people uh, generally gravitate towards what the problem might be because the 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 good stuff has solved itself. So let's start at defensive tackle. Okay, let's let's start with the narrative that's out there. There's mm-hmm. a whole bunch of names at defensive tackle: Beeman, Ellies, Izzard, Townley, Vandenberg, Durant. There's a lack of size there. What are we going to do without that one big, one-technique defensive tackle, uh, T. Frank? It's a major problem, isn't it? It is and it isn't. Like, it is a hole in the roster that they don't have a guy that is a complete player from a run perspective. That is, I don't want to diminish that because it is a factor in certain games, but Penn State fans, a certain percentage of them, seem to think that this team is one a, a nose tackle away from a national championship run because everything else is going to work out. Your five-star quarterback is going to be as good as you think he is. Uh, the linebackers are definitely not going to get injured at any point, and you're not going to have to test the depth there. Um, you're going to have the offensive line all work out and all take that next step. Like The, the perceived optimism at other positions has really narrowed the focus like a uh, magnifying glass with the sun on two positions, defensive tackle and linebacker, which is merited and warranted, but it is not um, going to determine whether this team wins and loses against Michigan and Ohio state, the way it has been um, perceived or at least talked about um, from what I've seen on the internet, which is the most reliable place to find facts. (laughs) <laughs> it It is a thing that they do need to focus on. And it's something that James Franklin has brought up. It's not just after the Michigan game. He brought it up again during his opening spring press conference. So I asked him about size and what he's looking for and what he wants. And I asked him specifically, 
Are you going to chase size for size sake? Are you asking these guys to get bigger because you feel like you're not big enough? Because that has never been his position. And he doubled down on the and reiterated, absolutely not, never. Not We are not chasing size for size sake. There's a lot of reasons you don't want to do it. The most, the first thing for a fo- from a football perspective is that it's inefficient. You're not actually doing what you think you're doing by just packing on pounds to a guy. You're making him less athletic. You're making him less impactful. Guys that can handle the weight can handle the weight, and it's usually good weight. Um, so you just need to find those guys and recruit them, which is why every time a nose tackle comes up in the transfer portal, we are going to have a conversation because it is a part of this roster. But the problem is... Guys that have the size aren't going anywhere unless it's um, a problem with the university, like they have a problem with a coach or they are a problem on the roster and they're kicked off the roster. You know, like these guys are very valuable and so therefore they're less likely to move. And if they are, they're going someplace that is going to um, value them in a monetary way that maybe Penn State can't match right now through NIL. So and, and maybe they're not ready to from a you know, internal standpoint either. Like we're not paying players. You can get money, but you're not going to be paid to come to Penn state. Like all of those things are a huge part of this conversation because going back to recruiting, they have struggled to find a guy that has the size and the athleticism to play. That is not to say that they haven't recruited size. Um, Fatoma Molba was over 300 pounds. He was not athletic enough to play and to be effective when he was on the field. He was not uh, effective the way he needed to be. Um, the young man that transferred to Indiana I, a couple years ago, uh, Cole Brevard, I think it was a uh, big dude. He was a pure nose tackle, but he was not athletic enough to get on the field and be effective. Manny Diaz's defense uses defensive tackles the same way they use defensive ends and linebackers, which is you roll the dice and that's where they end up in a different gap. They do not play the gap in front of them as much as other um, as other defensive schemes. They also don't play the traditional way. If they play the gap, they don't play the man. So they need to get into the gap, and you need to be athletic to do that. So if you're 335 pounds and you're not athletic enough to get to where you need to be, it doesn't matter. You are still not holding your run gap. So you can get by with athleticism and you can get by, and this is James Franklin's point, being as big as you physically can be within the parameters of your uh, physical development and what we see for defensive tackles in college and the NFL. So if you're not at the top of the strike zone, you need to get bigger. And that was his that was his point, is we're not going to be the biggest this offseason, really, is what he was saying, but we need to be as big as we can be. And the insinuation that he's had but won't come out and say is that there are guys on the roster that are not maximizing that potential. And overall, they aren't as big as they could be because of recruiting. So it is uh, two different conversations that are that lead to the same point that Penn State is probably not big enough to be dominant at defensive tackle, but they can still be as good as they've been in the past, which is to say they've beaten Michigan and Ohio State at home. Uh, when they have played very well defensively and offensively as a whole team. This will not prevent them from beating those teams. It will make it harder. It will make it so you have to, you the margin of error and everything else is still the same as it's always been. And that's really, to me, is like maybe they're on the low end this year, but they still have a, a group of players that can make plays and can be good, uh, but maybe not elite. And there's a couple guys we can get into here. I know we spent most of the time set ev- setting everything up, but that is 
That is the problem. And then all of these guys are going to be examples within that problem. We'll take the defensive tackles for this entire segment. But one of the things you brought it up with uh, James Franklin's comments, when he says things like after the Michigan game about not being big enough, and then he says things that Aaron Donald, he's brought up multiple times. Somebody on the team must think that they're Aaron Donald for James Franklin to keep bringing them up. Yeah. That here's an undersized defensive tackle who's an all pro. And apparently someone on the team must think that they can be Aaron Donald for James Franklin to bring it up multiple times. Does that not create this narrative of, you know, oh, they're not big enough and right. the fan base picks up on that. But let's talk about some of the specific names there because there are a lot of bodies there. We had a King Beeman who played a lot, Devon Ellis who's played a lot. Um, I think of Vandenberg as a strong guy. Durant got on the field as a true freshman. Yep. What's this rotation going to look like? And is it going to be a lot of essentially the two, I'm using air quotes here, smaller guys instead of the stereotypical one huge guy and one smaller guy. So last season, even with PJ Mustafer and, and I, I learning pieces of the defense takes a little bit of time and, and kind of trying to get through everything while also trying to break down the game plan. Uh, I haven't gotten to everything at all times, but they used a left and right designation. They didn't use three technique, one technique. So guys were in their playing positions based on left and right, not necessarily based on their skill set. So that changes again, that also changes and de-emphasizes one thing over the other, but you do need to have that size because I Izzard and Hakeem Beeman are the highest eligibility, presumably uh, most ready to be starters. Beeman's been a starter for a while. Izzard, I think, is the guy could break out and be the closest thing to an all around disruptor. Those are going to be your starters. And you're right. But then you've got um, on the same side last year, you had uh, uh, Zane Durant, who's 275 pounds. Beeman currently listed at 256 pounds like that is not a lot of that's not a lot of muscle. Devon Ellis is a, a guy that will be in the same role that he was last year. I don't think he'll go up or down in the depth chart. He'll be where he is. And then Vandenberg can play either side. He can play either position um, where he fits into that. I think he needs to take a step forward. That's a guy that I've said here on the show multiple times, other places as well on my own show. He has the physical talent, the quickness, the strength, the athleticism to be disruptive. He doesn't have every tool in the box. He's not going to be an all pro. He's not going to be an all big 10 player, but he can be a significant presence on the inside and that's what i think he needs to take a step this year um so you've got options but you the the question is do you have well-rounded options for all scenarios and situations and it doesn't seem like it another guy that's getting some uh positive praise right now is caleb artis who was very 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 raw from high school another guy that did not have a consistent teaching environment and playing environment he was injured some covid all those things uh, when he was in high school. So he's behind the curve, 315 pounds. He can solve the problem we're talking about if he can get up to speed. And um, I think that he can, you know, I th I'm optimistic about that, but then how much are you expecting from him? He needs to make some key plays this year. Very good T Frank. All right. That's it for quarter. Number two, stick around. We're going to take your questions. We're going to ask T Frank in quarter. Number three. Are you ready to elevate your game day experience? Then it's time for turnkey tailgating with Revel XP. 
you get to tailgate close to Beaver Stadium with our exclusive area next to the soccer field. Revel XP will provide the tent, the chairs, table, even the cooler and ice. We even partner with local food and beverage providers to cater your tailgate event. As someone has enjoyed tailgating with Revel XP, I know you're going to love it. Go to RevelXP.com for more info. We Are NIL Collective helps Penn State compete in the new world of collegiate athletics, and you can help us. Hi, this is Michael Krenzman, founding member of We Are NIL, and I'm inviting you to join the football parents and the folks from Keystone Sportsnet at a tailgate party for the blue-white game. Enjoy great food from 409 Tailgate Club and beer from Neutral Brewery, all from the exclusive Revel XP lot near the stadium. This is your chance to also talk football with the guys from Keystone Sports and meet some players' families. So get your tickets at thetailgateclub.com. Thanks very much. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It's quarter number three. I'm Jim Galante. He's T. Frank Carr. And we call this segment Ask T. Frank. This is where we take your questions and we give them the T Frank. He then picks out a best question who wins the prize pack from the 409 tailgateclub.com. They're the place with the fantastic barbecue sauces, barbecue rubs, all that great stuff, which, by the way, you're going to be able to enjoy if you join us for our tailgate event at the spring game, at the blue-white game, just go to thetailgateclub.com if you're interested. More information and tickets are available there. T. Frank, are you ready for the questions? Let's do it. I, I'm never ready because, you know, that's the nature of not knowing what's going to be asked. But I have uh, spent a significant amount of time thinking about things. Hopefully, it matches up with what people want to know. All right. Well, let's start with Walt in Bradford who says, T. Frank, how in the world... Could you get rid of that glorious beard? My, <laughs> my football question, which of the Penn State players who are eligible for the draft do you think will exceed the expectations of other experts? And by him saying other experts, T. Frank, I'm assuming that means he thinks you are the expert on this. Well, I'm, I'm so flattered. So first of all, why did you get rid of the glorious beard? Uh, th- there's there's a couple reasons. Um, one is because it was just time, um, and it was getting a little out of hand. The second is less fun, and I, I don't always talk about it when we talk about this, but I had a funeral to go to. My grandmother passed away. She's 92 years old. She lived an awesome life, and she liked it when I was clean-shaven, so I figured one last time I would do that for her. Um, and, and so I had to prepare my face for that and not go from full Paul Bunyan down to bare floors and have like, you know, all kinds of problems of follicles, not 
cooperating. So it was a multi-stage process. So not not a overly fun answer, but uh, that's the truth there. Secondly, the 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 football question about who will exceed expectations. I'm high on Mitchell Tinsley being a better player in the NFL than he was in college because I think he's got the the necessary tools to be a role player in an offense. You could either, you know, and I, I want to say Parker Washington, but I'm just I need more information. I don't know how fast he is. I, at times, I think he's very fast on film, you know, and very fast for my expectation of him. And then other times he does not look fast enough. So, you know, I know that we overvalue the data of height, weight, speed, you know, during the combine and all those things. And we should rely on the tape. The tape is good, but the tape is not amazing for Parker Washington. He's not Jahan Dotson. He never reached those levels. So I, I don't expect him to be kind of that uh, number quasi number one, one a from the slot. Both these guys are going to be role players in, in the offense uh, for their teams. Um, I don't know how the NFL views juice Scruggs because I think he's a starter. I think he's more of a starter than those two guys I just talked about, but I don't know how other people view him because starters at center come from the fifth round. Like you don't hear of most of the guys that are drafted to play center in the NFL. They come from all walks of the NFL football life drafted, undrafted mid rounds, first round. Like it's not, it's not like tackle where, for the most part, everyone is a third round or up uh, draft pick. Um, but the guy I would land on probably is Scruggs. But I also want to give a shout out to Bretton Strange that I think is another guy that's a starter in the NFL. These are all going to be complimentary role players in the NFL that you're going to love if your team drafts one of them it is what my high end projection for all of these guys. Bretton Strange, I think I keep coming back to the Miami Dolphins. Like I, I'm calling my shot that he's going to go to a Shanahan style offense. Um, that will use him as a positionless player that can line up in the backfield, tight end, slot, can run, block, catch. Probably they you could even use him on jet sweeps. I don't know. Like just use him in a variety of different ways creatively to create matchup problems for the defense. I think he's got those skills. And Miami does not have their Kyle Use check. I think he can be similar to that. Maybe not the same high level player because Use check is very underrated as a fullback, but I think Brenton Strange can be a very good one. So uh, I gave you four the in true draft analyst style. I got asked for one and I gave you four. Um, so there you go. <laughs> That's covering your bases there, T Frank. Yes. I like Brenton Strange and Juice Scruggs as two players that I think we as Penn Staters um, have grown to appreciate over time. Let's go to Mike in Bradenton, Florida, formerly of Harrisburg. No offense to Harrisburg, but Mike, I think you're better off in Bradenton, Florida. Uh, Mike says, in the recent line of food analogies, I find offense to be like baking. Scientific, where all the players need to do their job without deviation. Defense is more like cooking soup in that you have a starting point, but you can add a little more of an ingredient if desired. What are your thoughts, T. Frank? Is uh, offense like baking and defense like soup? Yes, I I love that. I think that's very astute. The thing I would say about uh, baking, though, is that the creativity comes in the in the flourishes, right? It comes. That's that's the problem that I think we run into is that 
certain people focus only on the flour, the butter, and the eggs, which is the offensive line. Like you need to have certain staples in certain ratios to make certain things in baking. And that's all you care about. And it's like, great, you got hardtack, you know, or you've got you've got biscuits. Biscuits don't win uh, baking shows all the time. You've got to have the the spice literally and figuratively in an offense to make it truly complete. And I think that a lot of times if you're focused on running the ball and the offensive line and that's it, like, great, you you have a very quality whatever you want to use. But if you want to have a dish, you want to have something that it elevates, you've got to have the whole thing, which means the skill positions. And you cannot overlook those. And that's where I think Penn State right now, what's the spice going to be in this offense? And then on defense, I would say it's the opposite, where uh, sometimes a defense coordinator can have a lot of great pieces, but if you don't have the broth down right, if you don't have the, the base of the soup, you don't do your roux correctly, if you're making a, a chowder or whatever, then you're going to have a bad soup. So you need to make sure the basis is right. And that's where I think Penn State fans are fair to say, OK, we like a lot of stuff about this defense, but what it, what about the defensive line? Like, is that going to be able to hold up? And, and the, it's a fair question. So I love that. That was great. I don't know as much about baking. I am a prolific cook at home, so I enjoyed that. couple points here, T. Frank. Number one, I think in the years that we've been on the air, that may be the first reference to a roux. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm like you. I like the cooking. The baking I let to somebody else because it is scientific, like the baking powder versus baking soda. I don't understand the difference and you got to be exact with measurements yeah. and all that. That's part of part of that. All right, let's go to we're going down the fun question line here. Must be uh, this week somehow. But our good friend Jimmy in Forest City says, T. Frank, I like your different name options. But speaking of names, which former or current Penn Stater has the most difficult name for you to pronounce? For me, it's. Oriarie. Also, Storm Duck is a cool name. What's your uh -huh. favorite Penn State football player name? Oh, so right now there is no, no consensus on Drew Alar or Drew Aller. And uh, people say like, well, James Franklin says this thing. I was like, he said Venga Yoane the other day. Uh, and <laughs> I, I read it three times. There's no N in there. So like, is it Vega? I, so the, there's the there's the pronunciations that we just don't agree on, which drive me nuts. Um, but yes, Amani Oruwarie is one of the hardest that we've had to try and pronounce recently. Um, I don't even want to try Olu's full first name. I think it's Oluema Fashanu. Uh, <laughs> and it's like, so Olu is what we're going to do. So that one, it, it just scares me to death anyway. So we've all just agreed. And thankfully he's okay with Olu. <laughs> well, I just want to mention to you, you brought up Olu and it, it's, we always been saying Fashanu. Is that what he wants? Because there was a TV game where the announcer started calling him Fashionu. Yeah. And I swear when I looked at the pronunciation that Penn State puts out, that it was Fashionu based on how they have the pronunciation. And you had Christian Vayu, Vayir. But I will yeah. say this with Drew Aller, before he came on board as a high school player, we were hearing all, for such a small name, we were getting so many different pronunciations. But I swear I heard uh, Drew himself say Aller. So that's what I am going with, uh, T. Frank. Let's see. Olu Let's go Nowia. to Kevin. 
I think. Olumowia. I think it is. I don't know. I'll have to ask him next time that we have an opportunity to talk to him. The one that I always like is the quarterback at Maryland. According to Jim, according to me, that's Tua's brother. That is how he will be referred to. Okay. I don't want to tackle either the first or last name with them. Let's go to Kevin in Redding who says, I know the blue-white game is a glorified practice. Nevertheless, is there anything in particular that you're looking for, T. Frank, and you think we fans should be watching? Yeah, I do. I I think you can get some things out of the blue-white game, and it's frustrating because the overarching thing is don't take too much from it because of the talent disparity even within uh, a team and, of course, what you're not seeing from the offense and defense. So I'll give you an example of things that I latched on to that were a little bit incorrect last year. Trying to understand Manny Diaz's defense, um, how do they use defensive tackles? That was absolutely not going to be something I can understand when they're flipping between positions and guys are rotating and trying to see them in different situations. Uh, Safeties, how are they using safeties? Field and boundary. They seem to have a very hard designation of that and who played where. It took me too long to then catch on later that Tig was playing both positions last year because it was, you know, you learn something, you try to lock it in, try to move on and learn the next thing and try to take these things as truth uh, so that you can build more knowledge. But the what happened last year was, you know, the top two safeties both played the boundary. So Tig flipped over and played the field from time to time because he could. He was that good. So um, that can muddy the water a little bit. So some of the schematic things. Um, for me, that's where I get in trouble. Uh, but the looks like game that checks out, like does X look good? Does he play well? Does he do things? Now you don't want to say he's, he didn't have a good practice. Therefore he's not good, but you can see, you can say that this guy was very effective. Dom DeLuca, you know, had a, had a good, uh, spring game. And then he became a player on the on the team. So there are certain things if they line up with actual execution and actual play that can mean something. They, they are a piece of the puzzle. So you can take those things, but you have to then remember that it's a piece of the puzzle. And that is your keyhole into understanding the whole picture. Oh, forget nuance, T. Frank. Let's overreact. All right. That's it for quarter number three. Stick around. We'll name our winner in quarter number four. Are you ready to elevate your game day experience? Then it's time for turnkey tailgating with Revel XP. You get to tailgate close to Beaver Stadium with our exclusive area next to the soccer field. Revel XP will provide the tent, the chairs, table, even the cooler and ice. We even partner with local food and beverage providers to cater your tailgate event. As someone has enjoyed tailgating with Revel XP, I know you're going to love it. Go to RevelXP.com for more info. We Are NIL Collective helps Penn State compete in the new world of collegiate athletics, and you can help us. Hi, this is Michael Krenzman, founding member of We Are NIL, and I'm inviting you to join the football parents and the folks from Keystone Sportsnet at a tailgate party for the blue-white game. Enjoy great food from 409 Tailgate Club and beer from Neutral Brewery, all from the exclusive Revel XP lot near the stadium. This is your chance to also talk football with the guys from Keystone Sports and meet some players' families. So get your tickets at thetailgateclub.com. Thanks very much. Hey, guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. 
So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. We head to the home stretch in quarter number four on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number four. We just completed the Ask T. Frank segment. All that's left, T. Frank, is we need to name a winner. We had a few good and fun questions. Who's our winner? You know, that I know that I always go into too much thought about this, but I liked all of these questions today. I, I'm always frustrated when I have to uh, disappoint somebody who had a great question because I also will, also want to reward the good ones. So Kevin in, in Reading had a great question about the spring game, what you can take from it. I, I think it's important to, to, you know, have that conversation. Walton Bradford. Great conversation about the draft. Love that as well. But we're going with Mike in Bradenton because it was fun and we got to have a deeper conversation about <laughs> football and, and the nature of how we view baking and football. So, and Jimmy in Four City, you made me try and say uh, Olu Fashinu's first name on air. So we had a very productive Ask T. Frank segment. Uh, all winners, but Mike is going to take home the prize this week. Is this like a participation thing? Everybody asked a winning question, T. Frank. Does everybody get a ribbon? No, that's the nature of what we just did is that they were all very good. The The nature of the competition matters, too. It was not a bunch of people throwing rocks at each other uh, in a very lowbrow uh, question asking. It was very, very good questions. And uh, the, the level of competition was uh, Olympic level, uh, not not amateur level. And so still, it's tough to it's tough to lose at that level. And I just want those people to know that they were excellent. But Mike had a unique spin that got him the win. Let's face it, Mike was smart enough. He got both football and food into the question. That's always a winner. All right, we'll be getting in touch with you, Mike, about your prize pack. T. Frank, let's get back to our positional analysis. My original plan was to, in Q2, do the entire defensive line, defensive tackles, defensive ends. You knew better than me. You said, which one do we want to start with? The controversial where there's a lot to say. That's defensive tackle. And it turned out, even with an entire segment, we didn't finish all our thoughts on defensive tackle. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to follow up that segment. Give your final thoughts on that defensive tackle position. Yeah, the problem here is me. I uh, I talk a lot, and I've known that about myself, especially in this forum where my my I do I do this in real life too. And my wife is like, "Babe, you're you're radio you're radioing right now. You're monologuing. No one else is talking. You're just talking for four minutes." So I know that I'm capable of of that, and hopefully it's interesting. Like uh, I'm still here, so at least it's not the worst. But the thing I wanted to finish up with with defensive tackle is that right now um, there's some issues with availability. So it's good and bad. The first part is some of the young guys are getting an opportunity to play more and to get more reps and to develop. But like Keziah Izzard, James Franklin talked about, he might not be available a whole lot this spring. We haven't seen him yet in two weeks of practice out there when when uh, you know we see the available part of practice. And as the, as the lead guy who still isn't like an established star, or, you know, Big Ten star, not even like on on a, on a national level, but a guy of repute. 
we don't have that information from him yet. So seeing more of that, they're obviously comfortable with what he can do, but he's not practicing this spring. Um, and then, you know, Nixon cuts along the way have are, are bound to happen. It was a deep roster last year, six deep of guys that could contribute. You lose PJ Mustafer, you don't necessarily add anybody else. So numbers are thin. And I think that that could be good or bad. Somebody could rise to the occasion here, or it could be that there's more problems than you thought. Um, or more, the problems are what the fears uh, were, you know, like the, the worst fears were realized. I don't think the worst fears of fans that this is a garbage unit, that nobody's any good. And we need to get uh, two defensive tackles that are over 300 pounds. Like those that's incorrect, but it might be closer to, they might have more trouble than not. Although there are, like I said, there have been some good um, signs this this spring with Caleb Artis and some of the younger guys. So I think there's some positive, but also there's a little negative of the news and notes of what's happening right now. And of course, you know, we will get more information this week. We're recording before practice today. So we'll get more information about that as we, uh, you know, as we go through this week. Very good T Frank. As you started out saying, you can never have enough time to talk about defensive tackle position at Penn State. It's kind of like it's the offensive line of the defense, if you know what For I sure. mean. There, yeah. there's, there, there's always more to talk about it. A bit more stable position is defensive end. And you start when you're starting with Adisa Isaac, Chop Robinson, and Denai Dennis Sutton, you're in pretty good shape there, uh, T. Frank. Yeah, this might be actually a shorter segment because, again, when the positive is so good, what is there to say? Everyone already knows. Fans are already optimistic, typically. So um, I guess the way I've phrased this is this potentially could be the best defensive end unit that Penn State has ever had under James Franklin. Those three guys that you just mentioned, you can make a case Adisa Isaac at his healthiest and at his best is also a top draft pick. You know, he could be a second round draft pick in the NFL in terms of he's an He's an absolute athletic monster. Not the biggest guy in the world, but could be an elite speed rusher. Deny Dennis Sutton is a five-star defensive end. Chop Robinson, in my opinion, should have been a five-star defensive end. So they've got headline like neon Hollywood lights superstars at that position, especially Chop Robinson. I think he can be the best we've seen in and he's got all of the tools you could want. He's 253 pounds now, so he's big enough to play the run. I think he can be disruptive. He's strong for his size. You know, uh, uh, there are guys that can play and can and punch at the weight. I think he's stronger than what he when he uh, is on the field. He disengages so well, and his physicality and explosiveness through contact allows him to overcome a lack of overwhelming size. Plus. Defensive ends are closer to 250 on a regular basis now than they are 275. So Denied to the Sutton is a bit of a throwback. With him, the the power, the length, the the fluidity is the one area where I think he needs to improve. And he knows that. And he is the type of player to maximize his potential. So that's just awesome. And then we haven't even talked about Amin Vanover, who might have been per snap the most disruptive of the guys up front last year. He was a rotational player. Um, defensively from a, def uh, from a run defense perspective and from a pass rush perspective per snap, he was getting into the backfield tackles for loss, uh, pressures, sacks, quarterback hits. He was a highly productive player. So you've got four guys that I feel confident can all start and be good. And then you don't need that. That's before you even get into the depth of the position with Zariah Fisher and whatever happens with Smith Vilbert. They are 
uh, two and a half deep. And that's a that's a great place to be. And especially when the, the top two and a half, the top of that, are all A's, in my opinion, or A minuses. And T, Frank, I want to get into uh, Chop Robinson a little bit more. And I'm going to defer to you on this. You mentioned this last season about isolating on Chop Robinson. And if you watch him every play, and I did, I watched a replay of a game and I just focused on Chop Robinson and it was, it seemed like every play he did something. Now he may not have gotten to the quarterback, but he was beating his guy. Yep. Tell me what makes him so good and how does Manny Diaz's scheme help these guys? So the, the scheme overloads and creates individual one-on-one battles so that you can't double-team a guy like Chop Robinson. If you do, then maybe Abdul Carter is coming through the A-gap against a running back that's 210 pounds, and you've got a problem. So you you have to dedicate a minimal amount of resources, or you only run three routes. So it, it forces the offense to make some decisions about protection and the number of options out in the passing uh, lanes. So that's how that's kind of the basic there. Um, I want to take you back to preseason because this is one of those things that when you sit in this chair and you talk for a living, like you, you get some stuff wrong. And I was wrong about Chop Robinson um, on a micro scale because I didn't think he would be ready right away last year. And that is to say he was raw watching him in training camp. He was going through some drills and um, he had this uh, thing where he'd kick his leg out. He would do this like kind of a horse kick when he was trying to turn the corner in a drill and he kept falling down in the drill. And like, you know, it's a it's a limited thing. But when I saw him in individual one on ones during camp, it was not the thing I saw on film from him. The uh, overwhelming speed in the bend um, and certain guys are just better in the game than they are in practice. So he was still learning the position last year and then did all of these things. And and I thought it would take him a little bit longer. I thought not yet because he's coming from playing a hybrid position out actually covering as kind of a Sam linebacker at times and as a pass rusher on third down. He made the transition so quick and he and what he does is at six three with great length and strength, he's able to bend the corner and that means he's able to take the angle on the tackle, lean on that guy and shorten the distance to the quarterback to the to the optimal path. That is an elite trait that the NFL covets. And his hand usage, his ability to get underneath the armpit uh, of an offensive tackle, to lift up and to use leverage, strength, bend, and power all together is the best I've seen. It's Arnold Ebikiti with a little more juice, a little more strength. And what that did was it created these opportunities for him to beat the tackle immediately. Quick pressure, effective pressure. And that changed how offenses operated. So the reason he didn't get a bunch of sacks is because they weren't they weren't doing five-step drops. They weren't doing seven-step drops. They weren't doing longer things down the field. Most of the time, Penn State, when they faced a deep passing attack, it was catch and throw. Like in the Purdue game, Aiden O'Connell was throwing the ball in under 2.5 seconds or under three seconds. I think it was like 2.7. But they were throwing the ball 20 yards down the field just on a loft like just trying to get the ball to a position where the receiver can run under it instead of letting the receiver run and then target the receiver. So teams had to make decisions last year because of Chop Robinson's presence and Adisa Isaac with him of, are we going to expose the quarterback to hits? And when they did, you saw the second half of the Rose Bowl game, especially it was over. 
You could not block him if you had to hold on to the football. The only games where I feel like he was really neutralized were Ohio State and Michigan. Those were the only times where Michigan was not put in a position enough for him to go to work, and Ohio State had uh, great tackles that are going to be NFL players that were more advanced than him and could handle his positional skills. So the next phase for him is to be dominant in every game. And that is, I, I expect that of, of him after what I saw last year and how quickly he was ready to go. That Auburn game when he came in and had nine pressures in a sack because they did not expect him to be there and did not expect him to have that impact. I, I, I'm not expecting him to do that every game, but his presence will dictate things next year. Very good T Frank. Unfortunately, that is it for quarter number four and our show. Stick with us next week where we're going to complete the defense with our positional reviews. We'll hit the linebackers. We'll hit the defensive backs. T. Frank, I think we'll have enough time to You're hit You're so optimistic. I'll, I'll cut it down. I'll be more <laughs> brief next week. Uh, no need to, T. Frank. We love your analysis. We'll see you all next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Are you ready to elevate your game day experience? Then it's time for turnkey tailgating with Revel XP. You get to tailgate close to Beaver Stadium with our exclusive area next to the soccer field. Revel XP will provide the tent, the chairs, table, even the cooler and ice. We even partner with local food and beverage providers to cater your tailgate event. As someone has enjoyed tailgating with Revel XP, I know you're going to love it. Go to RevelXP.com for more info. We Are NIL Collective helps Penn State compete in the new world of collegiate athletics, and you can help us. Hi, this is Michael Krenzman, founding member of We Are NIL, and I'm inviting you to join the football parents and the folks from Keystone Sportsnet at a tailgate party for the blue-white game. Enjoy great food from 409 Tailgate Club and beer from Neutral Brewery, all from the exclusive Revel XP lot near the stadium. This is your chance to also talk football with the guys from Keystone Sports and meet some players' families. So get your tickets at thetailgateclub.com. Thanks very much. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are.